having really affordable advertising. And the targeting was absolutely through the roof and the cost per acquisition was absolutely stellar. Hey, I'm Blake, and this is the Content Plus Commerce Podcast, presented by Engine Ecommerce, the only podcast for people building successful online stores. From agency life to being a lone freelancer, we'll be bringing you weekly content full of best practices and in-the-trenches advice. Hey, listeners, welcome back to another fun episode of the Content Plus Commerce Podcast. This week, I've got Michael Pompicello here from Blue Polo Interactive. How are you doing today? I'm great, Blake. How are you? Good. Really good. Uh, I'm really excited to get to talk with you and dive into customer acquisition. Um, It's a strategy that's near and dear to our founders' hearts. Um, It's something that we build into every one of our stores. It's something that we very heavily reiterate and focus on for all of our client strategy opportunities. So I'm, I'm super pumped that uh, you've chosen this as your topic. A lot of times we get some more technical choices. So I'm really pumped. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, we can talk a little technical, but yeah, it's something that we're definitely very eager about and it's really in our roots as a company. So I'm sure as we start to talk about that, I can expand on that more as well. Perfect. So first, give me a little bit of background on Blue Polo, backstory on how it got founded, where you guys are at, what 2020 is going to look like for you. Awesome. Absolutely. So we were founded in August of 2010. This is a joint venture between myself and my business partner, Josh Sattler. We, prior to working together, both had small but growth marketing agencies um, focusing on different things. He was more on the ad sales, service sales side of the business. I was more on um, doing a lot of work internally as an affiliate for different brands. So on my side, I was doing ad buying for consumer acquisition, something we're uh, definitely going to flesh out more today, as well as SEO, really delivering results there, all with the goal of driving conversions for my, my affiliate partners. So the fusion of the two of us is really just such a great meeting of the minds. He has such a great sales, but also consultative background to really dig in with any potential client that we're meeting with to get to the root of what their problems are and work with me to build a solution for that. So that's super important. And that, um, that's been really valuable over the span of the evolution of this company. So we started in 2010. We were focused on offering predominantly SEO services, which continue to evolve. In 2012, we were doing some SEO work for Macy's and doing some link building for them. Uh, obviously, they're an enormous e-commerce retailer. One thing we learned there was in 2012, they valued backlinks as everyone did and still should to date. But really, they wanted us to get them links from blogs. Um, so we went out, formed a, did some content creation for them, formed a ton of relationships with bloggers to publish that content, link out to their category pages and things like that, just to get them another link in Google's index pointing to them. And we realized that while they only saw the value of that backlink, as a backlink, we saw this person has authority, they have an audience, people are going to click this link, they're probably going to buy. Um, and then on top of that, it's even if 
no one's clicking a mind. This is getting a lot of exposure for the Macy's brand out there. So we internally started to develop what's now known as influencer marketing, but an outreach strategy, a crawling strategy to go out find these bloggers in different verticals and build relationships with them at scale. So over time, we've evolved away from just working with bloggers. We focus a lot with YouTube and with tons of Instagrammers. And a big part of acquisition strategy we implement today isn't so much just your silos of AdWords, Facebook, maybe some display, but also looking at just as you're measuring those channels for acquisition, trying to tie influencers into that as well. That's awesome. So one of the things I'm always curious about speaking with so many different digital agencies is your thoughts around specifically in the, the influencer kind of space, maybe talk a little bit on this concept of like, uh, like small pond influencers or like big pond influencers and a lot of times you hear of brands being like, oh, I only want this person that's got X number of like tens of thousands of followers. That's the person I want. Uh, personally, I see way more value in these these small pond influencers that may have a sure. smaller audience, but it, they're much more like targeted and energetic and their audience is a lot more uh, interactive with that person. Yeah. So I think, first of all, it's such a fun question. And I love talking with, other agencies in this space about this, even when they're my competitors, because what's so much fun is if you ask 10 people this, this question, you're going to get 10 different answers. And that's great. That's really great. We should all be putting our thoughts out there, taking different approaches, testing and figure out, figuring out what works for the industry as a whole to give the industry longevity. And my opinion on it is there's obviously some really big mega players, you know, that we would consider celebrities. And think about your people on Instagram who have millions of followers. These people are in a league of their own. Um, I think a lot of people are saying what you're saying. Like, I think a lot of people are saying, let's shift away from that and let's focus on the, the micro niche influencers. And there's a lot of good in doing that. But I would definitely just say be weary of ruling out bigger influencers altogether. Really, the number one thing that I would say to focus on is actual influence. And if your budget allows you to work with someone of an enormous size, you want to make sure you're not getting diminishing returns. So when you're dealing with, you know, we're talking about the really small guys, and then, of course, there's everyone in between. And I find the majority of influencers we deal with every single day fall right in between that. They have uh, maybe 50, 100,000 followers on Instagram. They have a couple hundred thousand to a million subscribers on YouTube. Um, it's a real sweet spot for people who know what they're doing or a dream to work with, can put up results. Um, the smaller guys are great and can deliver great returns. The only challenge we find is that it takes so many of them to deliver meaningful results that we're starting to see diminishing returns on the fact that the labor that you're putting into that always has a cost. And I think it's important as a brand, if you're an e-com brand or a D2C brand, whether you're doing that internally or partnering with an agency, always measuring that cost. Um, because I think that's a, a silent killer that a lot of people aren't factoring when dealing with smaller people. 
And I think on the high end, back to what I was saying earlier, if you can get big influencers at the right price, try them. Um, if they're out of your budget to begin with, don't waste your time. You know, you're not going to solve your business's problem overnight by spending a ton of money. Um, because you're going to want to test multiple. So if one is out of your price range, wash your hands of it. If you can safely, comfortably test five, you know, you spend the money on testing five of them and you're happy that if you test it and the money goes to zero, that's okay. You know, you still got your brand out there, that's fine. But definitely don't do it if, if you're, you're worried about the, uh, the ROI right away. Uh, the other thing with them is, I keep going back to if the price is right. You know, if you're getting this person at a really good deal, you're going to reach a lot of people and you've done a lot of due diligence on that. This person is actually reaching their audience. They're not dealing with bot followers. They're not running into a new challenge that we're seeing more and more every single day, which is uh, Facebook through their ownership of Instagram is lowering the amount of people, uh, these large, influencers are reaching organically so you have to pay them to reach the rest of that audience and that's again more dollars that you're going to be spending that no one's accounting for but if you can reach a sizable chunk of their audience for an effective clip they can be great to work with um the challenge we run into with people of that size tend to be they're either celebrities in the traditional sense of the word or they see themselves as celebrities and they think that they have this star power and they just jack their rates up tremendously as a result of that. And there's a lot of brands that just want to say, we're affiliated with this person, this person used our product. Um, if you're not that brand, then comparison shop all day. Um, the, there are people out there with big followings who are going to deliver real returns at a really effective clip. Don't waste your time trying to buy star power. Yeah, I, I love that perspective because there's a lot of <clears throat> work that goes into building and establishing this relationship. And yeah. if you're going after pure like small pond only and you have to have 50 of those to equal yeah. the kind of the reach power of one or two larger relationships, yeah, consider that because I mean the, the work and the effort you're putting in to establish those relationships and, and validate those people could be so much more lightened and maybe cost effective on a manpower perspective, if not yep. a deal power perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, that's, you know, I, I think so many people are coming out and saying exactly what you did. You know, let's really look at these niche players and they're really valuable. I do not want to discount their value at all. Um, especially when, like I said, if you can get enough of them and you can do it at a cost effective labor clip, then there's tremendous value there. We see a lot of brands finding these really small niche influencers. I'm talking under 10,000 followers on Instagram, maybe right around the 10,000 mark. Um, engaging with them from a gifting perspective, engaging with them from an affiliate perspective, where there's a will, there's a way you can find the play, but our typical engagements with brands in terms of us driving acquisition for them revolves very closely and very similarly to what you see with like an average play or a social ad play. We're going to take a bunch of budget. We're going to spend it. We're going to get a management fee for doing so. Um, we're going to measure all of that. We're going to learn from those results. We're going to do all of that to drive acquisition. And with those size players, it's just 
the manpower is just not worth it for that that type of approach. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Now, before we get into the the topic of this episode, I always like to give um, every single guest a chance to share their favorite, like our agency got to be the hero story. So I would love if you just take some time to share share your favorite one of those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in terms of ecom. Um, and in terms of development, where we really got to be the hero, we built a shoe store on Shopify, and it was still when Shopify was, you know, pre-IPO, kind of in the infancy. It was teetering right around the IPO point, and we've been working with Shopify from their true infancy and all the way to that point, and still today. And what was so interesting is that the more you deal with Shopify as a developer, the more you realize. There is going to come a day, my client is going to want something, and while Shopify is through and through the best solution for them, 99% of the time, this one thing they're going to want, <laughs> Shopify, there's not going to be an app for it, it's going to be a nightmare to support it through Shopify. Um, and we ran into a case with a shoe store where, for some reason, they never put in their scope that they wanted... Um, if you were on a product page for a pair of shoes and they had them in multiple colors, that if you clicked the color um, that you were interested in potentially buying, they wanted all of the images of the shoes to solely be around that color um, or at least skip to showing them in that color. And they just assumed this was something that the platform could do right out of the box. They never ran this by us during any part of the scoping but really drove home that they way into the project that yep. they thought this was absolutely mission critical for them. And where there's a will, there's a way our development team was able to pull that out um, and basically write that functionality into their theme and make that cooperate really well with Shopify in really breakneck pace. Um, I'm still to this day, it's one of those, not only was the client blown away, I was so blown away by that we were able to pull that off. I The entire process was, really setting expectations with the client of we're going to do our best this really you know like i might not commit to this this really isn't part of the scope we should have discussed this before but my team kept saying you know i think we can do this i think we'll figure it out and I, again i keep saying the expectation with the client that either it's not going to happen it's not going to look like what you want anything along those lines and i think in, in under two weeks we had something that was exactly what the client wanted and I think especially because we had correctly set expectations that this probably isn't going to happen or happen the way you want, that by the time we did get it to happen, they were, they were really thrilled. And that was a great moment. You know, that was a lot with Shopify is a learning experience of you learn the limitations mm -hmm. after you run into the limitations. And uh, we've had a lot that we were not able to push through and we would just have to push back on the client and say, yep. this just cannot be done. Um, we can bump you to Shopify Plus when you start making 10 times what you're making now. But uh, for the time being, this just can't be done. And for us to push the boundaries and do so in a way that was so on point with what the client wanted and so quickly turned around, just as it blew the client's mind, it blew my mind as well. I was really proud. Yeah. Of that. 
it's it's always great when you can kind of dance around the limitations that you're given and deliver on it and say, hey, we we worked around these walls that the platform put in place for us and we're able to still get you exactly what you wanted. And honestly, yes. it's, it's a lot of the reasoning behind the, the creation of Engine and kind of our philosophy behind things is we ran into so many walls with different e-com platforms that we worked with. We said, okay, let's, we know these 18 things or so that we run into, let's ensure yep. that those come with a platform out of the box because it's, so many brands on different yeah. platforms, you'll run into the, the same things almost repeated from industry to industry. So absolutely. And like, like I was saying before, it's something you would just, you're not out of the realm of possibility for assuming that this is out of the box functionality. Yep. Um, one thing to call out like with Shopify that we ran into with one version is the hundred variant limit mm -hmm. and Shopify spurs up and down. So few merchants need that. And they're not wrong, but damn, the merchants who do need it desperately need to exceed that. We were working with a uh, lingerie retailer, and I've never learned, I never knew so much about bras and the complications of bras my entire life. Um, but because they have color, cup size, and hook size, and once you multiply out the combinations of that, you can so quickly exceed a hundred variants that it's one of those things like, why would that, that limited ever exist? But there it is. And they're not backing down from getting right. rid of it. And then splitting your products um, out over one of those option types is almost just unacceptable. Same. I mean, same way when working with like shoe brands or yep. uh, things like scrubs that if you have more than a color and a size, you're in trouble yep. and you're going to have to have different URLs and you're going to lose SEO value out of those products. Yeah. Yep. And we've, we've come up with some crafty ways around that in, in the 30th hour as well. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to your point about engine, that just knowing that so much of this stuff should be so obvious and just there's borderline no reason it should exist. I'm sure someone somewhere thinks there's a reason it exists, but uh, to, to know that anything you reasonably assume the platform should do, it's actually going to deliver on is tremendous value for, uh, for clients and agencies alike. Yeah. Yeah. So steering into the main topic of this episode, I want to give you some time to really focus on your topic, share what you want to share with our entire audience, uh, diving into customer acquisition for, for e-commerce. Awesome. So I think a lot of what I want to say we touched on earlier, I think that a lot of brands now, um, especially in the D2C world, which is so much of what e-com is and where e-com is moving is so... I'm a retailer. I've been selling into wholesalers. That's been a great business. I've had a website. It's existed. Maybe it had e-com, but no one's really ever bought because we never pushed it. Um, there's so many of these, these brands that are realizing I can go online. I can basically compete with my own partners and capture so much more of my revenue. Um, I can make that investment in my brand build out my social, build out my email list, build those connections with my customers and really develop a tremendous um, in-house ROI by just selling my, my product directly. And the challenge that we're seeing, whether you are a bootstrapped baby clothing company that we have the absolute pleasure of dealing with, um, all the way through super, super well-funded pre-IPO D2C companies that we help drive acquisition for, uh, we also do acquisition-driven stuff for extremely well-known public companies, but obviously they have larger budgets, so the strategies are slightly <laughs> different. 
in that we can do a lot more testing with a lot less recourse. Um, but I, I think the challenges that these DVC companies are starting to run into as they dive into e-com or just any realm of DVC selling is that the DVC brands of past really got the benefit of um, Facebook having really affordable advertising. Mm -hmm. And the targeting was absolutely through the roof. And the cost per acquisition was absolutely stellar. You know, you could do the, the bare minimum optimization, work with an agency, have them step in, do some decent optimization work, and you could acquire new customers at a super, super effective clip. And I feel like the same could be said on Instagram. Again, that's Facebook uh, aligned and AdWords. And the most interesting thing to me is listening to all of um, Facebook and Google's investor calls every single quarter and noticing that they're always under pressure to put up more dollars in profits than the quarter before. And then quickly seeing whether it's leading up to an end of quarter or at the start of a new quarter, it's, it's like very predictable <laughs> at this point how all of a sudden there's more ads or all of a sudden the ad inventory floors um, are going up. And now as more brands are racing into the space, well, now the, the cost just by nature of competition and the cost by nature of Facebook and Google need to make more money to please their investors to keep the share price on the rise, that keeps going up and up and up. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of DCC brands needing to expand the channels that they're doing acquisition through. Um, so doing effective use of those mediums is crucial and really starting to babysit AdWords and Facebook a little more than ever before is really crucial for driving acquisition. Now, I'll be the first to say, just like I said with influencers, there comes a labor cost with that that needs to get taken into consideration. Um, but I, I think it's really important for these brands to know these are channels you need to be on and you need to have the correct expectations going in that the costs are not what they once were. They will be higher. There is room for optimization. You should work with professionals on optimizing those costs to be the lowest that they can be for you. Um, but don't, don't fret about exploring other potential revenue, uh, acquisition channels. So we do a lot with influencers. And I think the craziest thing about the influencer world is that brand awareness is so often tied to influencers as it should be. Influencers are an incredible channel for driving brand awareness, especially with hyper niche audiences. But I think everyone's so afraid of saying, I'm looking at influencers as a channel, as a major channel for customer acquisition. And I think that's a, a real mistake. I think if you are at least remotely savvy enough to run um, an advertising campaign similar to what you're doing on Facebook or Google, uh, you do lose the ability to pixel, which is challenging. But if you get a little bit savvy and think about things like, custom links with Instagram swipe up or put in the YouTube bio and those are clickable and trackable um, custom coupon codes for influencers. You really can measure all of these efforts all the way down to acquisition. 
and then work that process just back to the beginning in the same way you do with measuring Facebook ads, Google ads, or any other kind of direct response advertising. Um, and then really advertising is following the scientific method. We form some hypothesis around why we think either this advertising approach on um, your typical display or social ads are going to work. Same with influencers. Why is this influencer going to work? Why is this approach going to work? Why is this copy going to work, et cetera? Form a bunch of hypotheses, work with a bunch of influencers, and measure. And then test your, your results. You're going to, if, assuming your hypothesis is we're not way off base, and assuming you didn't get caught in any kind of follower fraud or anything like that, which we're doing a lot internally to combat for our clients, um, you're going to get some kind of results. Now, you're probably not going to be profitable day one or anywhere near it, but it'll give you enough learnings to go back and say, hey, this person killed it, that person killed it. These other people did okay, and these people absolutely bombed. What are the common threads? How can we refine the hypothesis? How can we find more people um, to scale this out with? And like I said, that's, that's the approach we take with using influencers as an acquisition channel. And that's been super successful. And I really hope a lot more brands, especially mid-size and D2C brands that don't have the enterprise dollars, start exploring once you've gotten your, your AdWords and Facebook and other display rocking and rolling, start exploring some other channels. There's, there's real acquisitions to be made there. You know, we're not just doing this for branding as, as a lot of people think we do. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a different uh, landscape than a couple years back. I mean, a couple years back, if you were a D2C brand, I would say, hey, your bread and butter is going to be Facebook advertising. You can do location-based targeting in the age ranges you want and, and the tools you had there before all the, the kind of Cambridge Analytica scandal hit. The tools you had there were so powerful that it was almost yep. like you could fire and forget. You could set your budget and yeah, you could reliably predict predict a return on ad spend. But now yeah. since the, the tools have kind of been scaled down and you're more limited, uh, looking at things like influencer marketing augmented by successful paid media campaigns is really the only way to go. Uh, because yeah. if you're just saying, hey, I'm going to boost a post and throw money behind it and fingers crossed, hope it works. You can't do that anymore. It's, it's not 2015 anymore. That's a great way just to give Facebook a lot of money and yep. make their shareholders very happy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're just pouring money into a hole that you're hoping uh, you're going to get some revenue out the other side. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take work, but as I've told clients on AdWords and on Facebook, if they give you a big easy button that says, click here to do X, it'll do X. Yep. They'll take your, they'll, they'll, you'll pay them that money, but it's never going to give you the results you want, you know, and I think Facebook's added that that great boost button. I know on AdWords side, uh, they've come out with some local solutions, which is yep. just like, yeah, give us a hundred bucks a month, we'll run ads. Are they optimized? No, no, don't <laughs> ask any questions, but we'll run ads. And it's the same with Facebook boosting, and and really, I think a lot of brands just get lured into thinking that it's easy, and I don't think that brands should be turned away by that. It is a challenge. Maybe they do want to have someone internally dip their toe and try to explore it themselves. I think that's fantastic. But don't, don't start to think that it's as easy as pressing a button because a lot more people other than, uh, than Facebook executives would be that level of wealthy if it were that easy. Right, right. 
So we, we talked a little bit about the changes from a few years back to now. Uh, to close out the episode, do you have any gut feelings or predictions for changes coming in 2020 or something that you might think might catch people off guard, whether it's in the influencer space, paid media, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, along the lines of what I was saying before, I think paid media costs on the big two are going to continue to increase. Um, I think CPAs are going to get higher. I think that kind of sucks for these D2C brands that are just trying to get you know a piece of the business pie and really have to pay the uh, online ad gods such a hefty tag and such a hefty portion of their initial acquisitions for that. Um, so I'm predicting that those costs go up. I'm definitely hoping more brands kind of heed warning and diversify. I think influencers is a great channel. I think it's a channel people don't think about for acquisitions. So that's why I like to throw that one out there, but there's more, you know, find, find something I don't know about, go, go diversify, find ways to do acquisition um, in a way that's more cost effective than just working with Facebook and Google. I think on the influencer side, uh, it, it ties right in so well with that. I think on Instagram, well, because really, even on the social side, we have Facebook and Google. Um, on the social side, just as we've seen Facebook on Facebook, um, pages killing out that organic reach that we used to get. You know, you used to invest money with Facebook, build an audience for your page, post content on the page, and then people would respond to it. And now it's you gave Facebook all that money, you built this whole audience, and now if you want to get in front of them, you have to pay Facebook again. Um, don't forget that Instagram is Facebook, and, and the shenanigans that we've seen happen before are in the process of repeating themselves. On Instagram, you know, what started as simple algorithm updates, we're seeing as ways for Facebook to make more money. They're not happy that this whole ecosystem of influencers exists and it exists in a realm where they're not getting paid for it. Um, so we're going back to what we were saying earlier, whether you're, you know, a mid-range or a higher tier influencer, you have this huge audience. We're seeing currently on a good day influencers are reaching 20-25% of that audience with a feed post um, on a super good day more than that. But if I see 50%, I'm, I'm honestly blown away. Um, so it goes back to if you are diving into that channel and you're trying to see returns, you have to stop focusing just on the numbers of followers and start asking better questions about how many people they're reaching. And right out of the gate, that's going to stop any nonsense with um, fake followers, going to protect you from not knowing the, the unknown of the Instagram, Facebook algorithm of how they're killing that reach off. You'll go in with a better expectation of what you're actually going to accomplish. Um, it's a question a lot of influencers haven't been asked to date, but we are really driving home when we work with them that we want to know that. We want to have predictions, uh, we want a, some kind of assurance against those predictions. And really in turn, that's starting to treat influencer posting like everything we know about paid media. You know, I'm not paying Facebook based on the fact that they have 500 million users to reach all of them because I'm never going to do so. I'm paying them for who I'm reaching. I think with influencer, uh, especially on Instagram, that's a shift that needs to take place. And on YouTube, again, Facebook, Google always comes back to those two. 
on YouTube, I think uh, I see a very similar rookie mistake made. I see people finding people with millions of followers, uh, subscribers rather, on YouTube. And that's great, but really focus on how many views on the video is this person getting. And really try to figure it all out down to who are my mo who is the most valuable audience for me? How many of those people can you specifically reach? And then try to figure out what metrics work for you on what it can cost you to reach that person and do so in a way where you can acquire a customer profitably. Um, don't continue to just buy into the black box of, oh, you have a million followers. I'm going to sponsor you for X amount of dollars. I'm going to have a million new customers because you're not. You know, um, and, and I think the numbers are going to look really grim when you go through that exercise of really understanding how many people in your target audience any given influencer reaches. But if you go in with those expectations set correctly, you can negotiate correctly, and you can measure all of that correctly. And whether it's influencers, uh, your typical paid channels, or any other new channel people discover for acquisition, I think all of those questions need to be asked. And it's too rare that people are, are asking and really digging into that level of analytics. Fantastic. Michael, this was a great episode. I, I appreciate you sharing your expertise in the influencer marketing and customer acquisition space. Definitely, Blake. It was a pleasure. I'm glad you were able to connect. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe. Also, if you'd like to talk to Engine about our agency partner program, then visit enginecommerce.com slash agency.